Want to become an AI trailblazer in the product world? Pragmatic Institute's newest workshop, AI for Product Professionals, is your ticket to generative AI mastery. In this hands-on training, learn to master chat GPT and prompt engineering to transform your product strategies, rapidly create content, optimize workflows, and make razor-sharp product decisions fueled by data. Don't just keep up with the AI revolution. Lead it. Seats are limited. Enroll today at pragmaticinstitute.com slash AI workshop. Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Product Chat Series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Calajaris at Pragmatic Institute and your host for this episode. Today, I'm excited to welcome a new voice to our podcast, Sarah Safari of Influencer Nexus. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me. So as you well know, right, influencer marketing is a $21 billion industry, right? People are seeing sort of an ROI around 5.2, which is crazy, right? For every dollar you spend, you're going to earn $5.20. So there's a lot of opportunities. I think there's a lot of companies that's been big for a while in B2C. It's stretching into B2B. And I think there's lots of opportunities, but there's also some pitfalls that I know that you've seen a lot. So that's what we're going to dive in today. But first, Sarah, uh, I always like to start with sort of everyone's origin story, right? Tell me a little bit about you, who you are, where you come, how you got into influencer marketing, why you're so passionate about it. Sure. So name is Sarah Safari. I've been into, actually, my background is a lot in fitness industry. So I started originally as opening a gym. I had very, very strict parents. My parents were like, you're going to go be a doctor, a lawyer, engineer. Those were my three options. I'm sure you've heard this story before. And that's all I knew. So I was going to school. I was doing that. I ended up getting a health science degree. I had applied to go to some kind of therapy, physical therapy school. I hadn't gotten in. I felt super depressed at the time. I went away for a month to South America. And we met a couple there, me and my best friend. They were like, oh, my God, we're working remote. Then we're going on this super cool excursion. And I was like, wait, like, you get to work abroad and then you get to, you know, go do this cool stuff. Doesn't matter where you are. And so it was like the first time that I had opened up my eyes to like this new possibility of mm. being able to work remotely. So sure enough, I went home and I was like, how do I, you know, build this whole thing online? The only thing that I was super good at at the time outside of what I was doing in school was fitness. So I was like, okay, I'm going to take this fitness thing online, hired a bunch of coaches, moved out of my parents' house, opened a gym and quit my job while at the same time. So I did that all within a two-week period. I opened the gym. That did super well. I didn't want to open a gym because I wanted to go online, but I was listening to what this coach had told me to do. Eventually, that I ended up shutting it down because it's not what I wanted to do. I tried the whole thing online, struggled for a couple of years, ended up figuring it out. Had a lot of people in my industry asking, how are you doing this thing? I started teaching them how to do what I was already doing. And then that's when I had the consultancy to help other people grow their businesses. And during that period of time, I helped anywhere from influencers with millions or hundreds of thousands of followers to wannabe influencers who maybe had 500 or 1,000 followers. And they wanted to not only partner with brands, but they wanted to grow their business as well. So I helped them for about four and a half years grow their business, build relationships with brands. So I was on the other side of the table. Mm -hmm. And so when Influencer Nexus was born, I was kind of in a unique position where I had been spending around half a decade helping 
influencers grow their businesses, build relationship with brands. And that's why I got on the other side of the table because I started noticing some of the issues that were going on with grand brands and inconsistencies and where that gap really needed to be bridged. And so that's where Influencer Nexus was born. I kind of dove into helping brands partner with influencers, which is the other side. One of the things I love about that is just like you had a very clear vision of what your lifestyle needed and wanted to be. And so you built a world and not like overnight. I mean, you did some of that really quick, but but it took some time to build the foundation through here. And I think that that's, first of all, just kudos. Good for you. Living your truth. Love that. But when we talk about influencer marketing, so a lot of people listening are like very, very, you know, they understand marketing and in, in maybe, I don't want to say traditional sense of the world, but again, a lot of B2B listeners. So just explore a little bit about influencer marketing for me and how it's different than some of the other traditions and maybe how it's the same. Yeah. So influencer marketing is the easiest way to understand it is word of mouth at scale. So if we think about it on a micro level, an influencer is someone who shows up daily to a very particular audience. You know, the smaller the audience, the more niche it becomes. And the audience knows everything about them. They know what they eat in the morning. They know what they do in the afternoon. They know their workout schedule. They know their favorite coffee. They know their favorite coffee place. They know how they dress. They know their outfits of the day. Everything from A to Z. And so they become an influence to that niche audience. And the people who follow them truly feel like they know that person. Mm. And so when we talk about influencer marketing, it's brands partnering with those, these influencers who already have a very loyal following and then building that relationship to promote their product if it's a fit both ways. Mm. And then you do that at scale. So the way that it's different than other kinds of advertising, for example, let's talk about just basic paid advertising. There's a very, very low trust level there. And it's substantially Mm -hmm. gone down throughout the course of the years. And the ROI has gone down as well. And it's gotten more expensive. People are blocking ads more often. All these things are starting to happen because it's a very, very low trust level and conversions are low. Whereas with influencer marketing, the trust is already Mm -hmm. there. And you can use things like paid ads, but specifically to influencer marketing to bolster reach of a campaign that's already done really Yeah, and I think it's that high level of trust that the influencer has with your market that you want to, as a business, want to attach is what makes it so attractive and why it's really, really important that you find the right fit for both sides, right? I mean, an influencer suddenly like promoting a product that doesn't really fit or that isn't good is going to take all that credibility that they've built and just blow it up, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's the whole thing is like, so we have a show called Behind the Scenes with Influencers. And so we interview influencers themselves on their side of the relationship with the brand. And oftentimes I'll have influencers that will literally tell me inside of the interview, you know, I'm having all of these brands reach out to me to promote their vacuum product or this like crazy thing. And they're like only a niche fitness influencer. Hmm. And so they want them to promote something that's completely out of their industry. And it, the thing is, is that it's not just a lose for the influencer, it's a lose for the brand as well. Because the influencer loses credibility and the brand gets no ROI, no reach, no engagement mm. because they're reaching out to the wrong person. I don't care if you have the best creative in the world. I don't care if you have the best concepts in the world. But if you're reaching out screaming, you know, at the top of your lungs, the wrong audience, it's not going to get any results. So it ends up being a lose-lose situation. Absolutely. And I think, and you and I have talked about this. I, I think most of us think just naturally about influencer marketing is very B2C, right? Lifestyle companies reaching out to new consumers. 
And I think that we see more and more, and I think we'll continue to see more and more B2B, right? If we think about just in general, the trends that B2C starts that then just become expected in B2B, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, from everything from UX to, to different levels of marketing, right? It is often B2C that brings B2B. And I think it's then an opportunity for B2B companies to get in now and not wait where, you know, I mean, that's the other thing is like, we have more niche products. There's a limited number of people here who may be a good fit and you want to make sure you're the one who gets there. Yeah. And just like anything in B2C versus B2B, B2B influencer marketing works actually potently well. It's just like any other product or or the way that B2B works is that it's a longer life cycle, right? Mm -hmm. So whereas if it's B2C, you'll have influencers, millennial, Gen Z who at many times will, you know, do, you know, I'll pay you X amount for Y level of exposure, for Y level of posts. B2B, while it can include some kind of monetary return, is a lot more based on long-term relationship building. Mm-hmm. So if a B2B brand right now is looking, okay, well, how can I, this seems like the, a B2C tool right now, how can I start using this in B2B? Start building relationships with influencers in that field, right? So think of the Twitters of the world, think of the LinkedIn of the world and start building relationships with the influencers on that platform where your ideal client exists and start seeing where you can have a trade-off where they can promote your product in some way for some sort of differing exchange. So yeah, let's keep going a little bit there. So when you're you're out there, you're looking at where your audience is, the people who are already talking to them, what other criteria would you suggest people look at in finding if there is an influencer and what's the right influencer? Yeah, so selection process of finding the right influencer for your brand, correct? Yes. Yeah, so you and I briefly talked about this. So one of the biggest issues going on right now that I really notice is the high prevalence of influencer fraud. Mm. And the reason for that is many people or brands who use influencer marketing as a promotion tool are often doing it for branding, for engagement, and for exposure because bigger brands go for brand exposure because it's a smart thing to do and it's a long-term game. The issue with that becomes where it looks as if campaigns or a campaign has done really well when in fact, and you take a deeper look, it hasn't done as well as it looks. And the reason for that is there is a very high prevalence of influencer fraud, meaning that an influencer pays for either engagement or for followers. And so it it is also really important here to define what influencer fraud really looks like and what a healthy level of a fake following could be. Mm -hmm. So any influencer who has a open page is going to have a degree of a fake following. My my personal Instagram is open. Every day I'll see random fakes come in all the time. Just, you know, you see the profile, they have zero followers, they have zero likes, they got some weird photo, you know, <laughs> it, 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 you, you know, you know, you yeah. know. So that's going to happen on a daily basis. But the percentage they'll typically say is anywhere between 20 to 25% is like the maximum that one should have before you would consider it a major red flag. So oftentimes I'll see anywhere between 30%. And I've seen all the way up to 90% of fraudulent following being involved in really big and popular brand campaigns. And there are these are massive agencies running these influencer campaigns. And it looks really good because there's tons of traffic going to whatever landing page that they're sending. Engagement looks super high because they're sending bots for engagement. And it looks like the brand campaign, based on the metrics and KPIs that were necessary, is doing extraordinarily well. 
But then when you look on the back end of the reporting of the past campaigns of their, the pattern of the behavior, you start noticing a lot of red flags that determine that the audience of this influencer has is a fake fault. And then the easiest way to be able to determine that is to, there's a lot of free to- tools out there, first of all, that you could determine. But even if you're not, if you don't have a tool, let's say that, that such thing doesn't exist, you just go onto an influencer's page. You can see very vividly, at least from an engagement perspective, okay, I see post number three has 5,000 likes and then all of a sudden four has 200. And then there's 300 comments and then there's five. And then the only comments that are like a bunch of emojis mm. is meaningful connection. So what do we say at the beginning? We said influencers have really strong relationships with their niche audience. The audience feels like they know, like, and trust them. So that audience is, who is very engaged is more likely to leave meaningful comments. They usually do if they have a very strong and engaged following. If they don't and you're seeing all kinds of one word answers or emojis or whatnot, that's another way. So you talked a little bit about the KPIs and the metrics that people should be looking at and that those can often be used to find fraud. Talk to me a little bit about, all right, so I'm going to go, I found an influencer. We've built a relationship. I think that's another thing, right? It's not just like, hello, influencer, you've never heard of me. Here's some money, right? Like a good influencer is going to want to have discussions and conversations and you're going to build that relationship over time. What kind of metrics do we want to make sure we're able to define ahead of time and also be able to sort of measure as we go along? In terms of looking at the influencers? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there are quite a few things. So one of them would obviously be their following, but that's like, it's actually a small piece of the pie. Mm -hmm. It's, It's smaller than most people think. I know you and I briefly talked off camera about this before, and it's the idea that, you know, more followers is better. And it's yeah. not necessarily the case. It's very, very dependent on what that specific brand is looking for. So that would be one of the metrics. Another one would be just reach the amount of reach that that person has, that influencer has, the level of engagement that that influencer has, the past campaigns that that influencer has done, because oftentimes you'll be able to see, okay, here's X and Y brand campaign that they've done. How did that go? What was the relationship like? What is their creative like? What is their creative strategy like overall? And how can I blend this into the content that I want to convey to this influencer's audience? Because one of the biggest mistakes that a lot of brands make is that they don't give the influencer creative freedom. Mm. And when they don't give the influencer creative freedom, what ends up happening is they say, here are these guidelines. I would like you to follow these particular guidelines and create content based on that. So... When they do that, what ends up happening is it looks very inauthentic because yeah. it is. And yeah. we said the audience knows the influencers. Like, this is weird. Like, why are they posting? They're posting all this fitness content. All, all of a sudden, it looks like they're posting some weird ad or some weird sketch. And it's very off, and the audience can smell it from a mile away. So going back to numbers, one of the biggest things to determine on a quantitative level and a qualitative level, understanding is, okay, so... What is this influencer's creative style? And can I build the creative content that I want to release and the information that I want to be able to convey into what they already have? And that's one big thing that a lot of brands miss or they think is an important, which creates a lot of what I call upside down ROI. Mm. So it does, it really does seem like when you, well, let's talk about it. Like when we reach out and we say, okay, this seems like a good influencer. What is the ideal way for a brand to kind of reach out and start to develop a partnership? It depends on the timeline. 
So some brands want to immediately get an influencer on board, right? So I actually wrote an article a few weeks back and I called it the Tinder of influencer marketing. And it's this idea behind, you know, you can't treat influencer marketing like one night stands where you reach out one time, you have one campaign, you run it and then that's it, right? Issue with the Tinder of influencer marketing is that influencer marketing takes time. And just like anything else, it takes, you know, on average, I'll say like about six or seven times till someone takes any action whatsoever, let mm-hmm. alone a purchasing decision. And I think while we, a lot of us conceptually understand this, when it comes to our own campaigns or when many brands come to their own campaigns, they want to see immediate ROI. Instead of understanding, you will see the ROI. You just have to do this the right way from the beginning, right? Because if you think about the reality of the situation, we just take it a step back again. And we go back down to the micro level. An influencer promotes your super water, okay? And your super water is so amazing, they're going to talk about how great it is. It could be that someone's not listening. They're doing a million things while they're watching what you did. It's the first time because they didn't even hear you. They yep. did hear you, but they didn't have time to look. There's a million reasons why someone's not going to take action on initial exposure. And so just understanding from the beginning that like this is a long journey, knowing that it takes time for that exposure. But when that hits and they start seeing the repetition because this person already likes the influencers, they're already watching them every day, you're going to start seeing those results. So setting KPIs for, you know, how many, how much exposure do we need before mm-hmm. we start seeing what these results look like? And then setting pre-framed standards for that sh- what that should be based on the influencer's level of exposure that they are going to give you, the agreement that you guys made, and how long that would take based on that makes sense. No, I mean, that's, that's like, again, as a, as an advertising person in my first life, right? Like that number of exposure, it's just, it's just how it works, right? Like nobody's like, oh, I heard about it once and then I run out and bought it, right? Like, I mean, again, there's, there's so many other things going on. And if you really want to build into, lean into the trust that this influencer already has with their audience, it's going to take a bit of a relationship. Yeah. And this maybe seem like a really naive question, but like, in order to measure back the impact, is it always like a direct code, right? I mean, is it always like you give the influencer code and that's how we track it? Or is there other ways that we can measure the sort of awareness build that we get from influencers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let me go back to the last thing you said and then I will answer yeah, this. Perfect. So I fully agree with you and you know, because you're in the marketing world that, that like, you know, seven times absolute minimum. Yeah. And that's not to say people don't buy on this. But like, you're going to get 0.01%. Yes. Yeah. That's going to buy. It's like the same thing as like, you know, I am a brand new company and I'm going to do a bunch of cold outreach. You're not going to get zero responses. Right. You're going to get a very small percentage of responses and that's okay. And guess what? Then you'll get even more of a percentage of responses if you follow up the right way. And then that increases when you start creating content. And then that increases when you run retargeting ads and paid ads. You know, and that increases when you do PR and you improve your credibility and someone looks you up and it looks good. So we're just understanding it the same way that you would understand compound interest. So yep. while it might work the first time, it's going to work better and better and stronger as it compounds more over time. And it's planning ahead what that compound looks like at what point and really building a strategic influencer plan to be able to really build. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, what was your uh, question after that? 
question after that was measuring the the awareness lift that we get from yeah yes yeah so the most common way typically is through either some kind of a link or having a utn tag attached to that person so we'll have sometimes i've had a few times where i've spoken to a brand they said you know the influencer doesn't really like when we ask to tag them or when we ask to attach a direct link to, you know, track, reach, exposure, mm-hmm. engagement, landing page views, all that kind of stuff, which I find a little bit odd. Like if you, they're planning on creating a partnership with you, I personally have not had the experience where an influencer says, no, this is not something I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. So for me, that's a little bit of a red flag because I wonder why don't you want me to track the degree to which, you know, your influence is influenced. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? And so... Those are the most common ways to do it is, is through either a very specific link or a very specific UTM code or a discount code specific to that person. And it becomes very easy to track that way. A lot of times if you look up online, they'll say, you know, there's this way, this way, but you can't really track. You can't really track. It's very obvious the direct return that person brought, the amount of landing page views that brought, the reach that brought, the you can see absolutely everything on the back end. And so just when we're talking about red flags, just if you do have an influencer or several for that matter who aren't necessarily comfortable with that, but they mm-hmm. were comfortable with the partnership and they do want to build that relationship, I do wonder why they wouldn't want that to be something that's true. Yeah. Yeah. It does feel like a nice, you know, it gives everybody the data that they can use. Yeah. 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 So I know you've been doing this for quite some time and I know you've worked both on your own and with others. Can you give us, can you share some of the like successes that you think worked really well? And and maybe if you want to, without naming names, throw in a few that you're like, "Hmm, missed that one. (laughs) Yeah, sure. 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 So yeah. So I worked with one SaaS company who was, was, they were like a food tracking company. Mm. So they track like, you know, cow, it's like a MyFitnessPal. Most of us know MyFitnessPal. So it's like a different variation of MyFitnessPal. They had really direct connections with Apple and, you know, tracking uh, water and all these different things. And when they first came in, they literally had, you know, no real PR, no level of exposure. Their Google presence was very low. And so the first thing that we did, even before we ran the influencer marketing, was focus on messaging and differentiation. Because one of the biggest issues with that brand was they were still having trouble being able to differentiate themselves from everybody else. Right. Which we know was like one of the first things that yep. you need to do in marketing 101 before you even start any levels of marketing. So we worked on that first. And then once we worked on that, we ran an influencer campaign with about 10 influencers. And all of those 10 influencers were actually micro and nano influencers. They weren't the celebrity level influencers. And he was able to increase his downloads by about 400%. So oh, I, wow. from that, it was only one campaign. So one that, that one campaign alone, we had an extra 600 downloads that came in from that campaign. His exposure went up a lot. And then he got three different brand deals long-term just from being able to partner with those influencers on a long-term basis and started seeing continuous returns. So that was That's awesome. And I think, again, underscores that it's not always the number of followers. It's the right fit. And I think in B2B, it's like, you're not going to find a lot of B2B influencers out there with giant numbers necessarily, right? But you yeah. want to make sure it's the right people and that they have the strong relationship. Yes. 
And not to refer back to this, but these are just direct examples of influencers I've spoken to. I had spoken to another influencer and she had maybe about 50,000 followers or something like that on behind the scenes. And one of her big, I asked her directly, I said, what do you think is the difference between, you know, a celebrity level influencer and someone like you? Like, why do you think a brand should choose? And she immediately said, well, you know, I have a very, very particular audience. I'm in the beauty industry. I speak about beauty all the time. I'm very engaged with my people. They DM me. I DM them back. We have mm-hmm. conversations in the comments. They know me. You know, they know what I'm up to. And so because this not niche audience not only feels connected to me, but on top of that, they really are very particular for why they're following me because I'm in beauty, because they want to know my morning routine, whatever it might be, that when I promote something that's similar and in that field, they're going to immediately most likely at least consider my, you know, whatever I'm suggesting to them because it's something that they've trusted over a period of time. Versus if we have an influencer with a million, two million, two million followers, right? Of course, there's a big impact. We can't deny that. We know there is volume and volume is an important thing, but you're not going to get any influencer with a million, two million, whatever followers sending direct DMs to their audience right? It's very rare. I'm not saying it never happens, but it's very rare that they're that connected to their audience. They're not responding to more than the first two or three comments that come in, if any, right? And so that in and of itself creates a level of disconnect between the influencer and the creator. And then the niche side of things is that because they have such a big volume of following, people are following them for different reasons. And many of them might not be the direct right fit for whatever that promoted product I think, yeah, it's a difference between wide or deep and what what really matters most mm-hmm. to your brand. Exactly. Uh, yeah, no, and I could totally see that. So is there another question I would have is, as you're looking for influencers, obviously you don't want an influencer who also partners with one of your competitors. Is there a, is there though like a number of partners that is the sweet spot for influencers versus somewhere like would be another red flag that they have, you know, a ton of brands they work with. Is there like a the right size? Like the number of influencers that you partner with for a particular campaign? I was actually thinking the other way. The number of businesses or brands that a influencer can partner with realistically. Uh, uh, okay. It just really depends because some brands care about exclusivity and they, you know, get contracting for that. And, you know, they'll say, you know, as long as you work with this brand, we'll give you this salary and do this type of thing. But from my experience and the many brands that I have worked with, the majority of brands are okay with it. You know, they're okay with them having different brand partnerships as long as they're meeting their side of the end with the brand partnership that they do have. And then the other thing is actually sometimes, because you you said you said a particular point and you said, you know, you obviously don't want to have an influencer that's worked with other competitors. Mm-hmm. In some ways, it might be okay. It Ooh. actually might be a benefit. Think about it this way. Let's say I, I'm an influencer agency. If I want to hire an account manager, for example, I would rather have an account manager that was working for a competitor. Fair. Very fair. Who, you know, knows the ins and outs of their processes, their systems, their weaknesses, their strengths, and all of that kind of stuff. And they can bring it back to my organization and say, here's what we're going to work on. Here's what, you know, was we here? Here's what's not And they can actually bring a level of expertise based on that experience. It's very similar when it comes to the influencer side of it. So let's say we have, and I have this actual experience where you have, you know, an influencer that worked with a differing app. It's a direct competitor. They almost do the exact same thing. 
And then they come to yours and they say, here's what didn't work in the campaign. Here's what I didn't like. Here's what the relationship part that didn't work out so well. And here's what did. And then they can actually bring their insights to the table, which is both beneficial to us and to them because they have yeah. that level of authority and, and a level of feeling like they're adding to the brand, to the organization, and they have the creative freedom to be able to correct things that they saw went wrong in past campaigns. So it works really well in that sense as well. Well, and I think that's a great point because also as a follower, right, if you used to drink Pepsi and then you went and drunk Coke, right? I mean, like you would be like, wow, like someone has a passion and they've made a different choice. They've made a change and that can actually seem like, wow, there must be something very much better. It's, like you know, the like the doctor that becomes a naturopath or something. Right. You know, he's yes. already a doctor. He saw what general medicine is like, and now he's also a naturopath. He knows both sides of the equation. Yeah, you know? it can be very powerful. Excellent, excellent point. All right, we have talked a lot about a lot of different things, and I know that that you know influencer marketing is something lots of people are thinking about. Lots of people do find difficult. I think I was reading one statistic. It was like. 78% of brands find it difficult or very difficult, right? So like, it's intimidating to those of us who have not been in it for, you know, a long time. So if you were going to have people who are listening kind of do or think differently about two different things about influencer marketing, based on what we talked about today, what would you want them to focus on? Yeah. So one would be stop focusing on one-time ROI mm. and start focusing on the long game. Stop focusing on the one night stand of Tinder and start focusing on your husband or wife. Start thinking, what do you do to charm them? What do you do to build that relationship? What you do to get laid one time is going to be completely different than what you do to entice a partner to want to be with you long term. What does that look like? What are those efforts look like? And people laugh because I make these relationship analogies all the time, but, but it's so related. Very true. It's yeah. the same thing. So if you can think of that mindset that we've all experienced and then relate that to influencer marketing and how you can make a difference and really actually taking the time to build a relationship long-term so that you can get return on investment tenfold on a long-term basis instead of getting that immediate gratification mm -hmm. that's going to substantially increase your success with influencer marketing. And then the second thing is just learn how to audit an agency. I actually just released an article on this a couple weeks ago, but when I first started in business, I knew nothing about business. Like I said, my degree was in, was in health science. So I, I knew nothing about business and I knew nothing about how to, how to hire the consultancy that could help me in the next steps of my business. So I just hired whoever said that they had the promised land. And I just did whatever they said until, you know, $60,000 later, I was like, I need to get better at auditing these And so just start reading and start learning about what, what are the things that I need to look for before I hire an agency and what yeah. kind of return that's going to bring me on, what questions to ask and what things to ask to see and what transparency looks like before I make that decision. And I think if you do those two things, you're going to see a lot of success. Excellent. All right, Sarah, I am definitely smarter for our conversation. So I appreciate that. And I know you do write and talk about this topic a lot. If people want to learn more from you or reach out, what is the best way for them to find your kind of latest thinking on the topic? Sure. They can just go to influencernexus.com or they can just send me a direct message on LinkedIn. My name Sarah with an H and Safari, like you're going on a Safari, but with two Fs. Excellent. All right. Thank you, Sarah. Really appreciated the time today. Thanks so much for having me. All right. That does it for today's episode. 
Thank you everyone for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career.